There's something about it. They've got a super strong chip on their shoulder. I don't know if I totally have that. You know, I had a pretty good life. So I don't know if I have enough of a chip to be at the super, super top, nor do I necessarily desire that. Like the mountain gets smaller as you go to the top. I'd rather be with some homies and have a good time. All right. What's up, you sexy beast? It's your boy, Never Late, aka Rabbi Can't Lose, aka Noah Kagan. In today's episode, I talk with Neville Medor from copywritingcourse.com. That's with two Ks. Neville is one of my best friends in the world and is hilarious. He's also an Eagle Scout, ladies. If you don't laugh three times in this episode, hit me up and I will Venmo you one buck. In this conversation, you're going to learn three big things. Numero uno, how life is way better than you realize and tactics to help you enjoy it more. Number two, really interesting ways Neville learns and implements things from unexpected people and places. Number three, unconventional business things that help him make over $100,000 using Google Docs, how he schedules with customers. You're going to learn these three things and have a bunch of fun listening to this episode. Enjoy. Quick plug. If you're in an online business and like making more money, use sumo.com. That's it. It's the easiest and most affordable tool to collect, send, and monetize your business. If you like email, if you like making money, if you like doing less work, go check out sumo.com. Shout out section. All right, special shout out to listener Brandon Pearsall of crown.coffee. This honestly made my whole holidays. He randomly recognized me at an Apple store. It was the highlight of my holiday. So I want to recognize him and other listeners like yourself. So tweet me that you listen to the show and let me know your name and URL and I'll pick one of you to feature in my next episode. Shout out. All right. So for anyone who doesn't know, which is all of you, this is Neville Medora. <laughs> <laughs> he runs nevblog.com. It's probably the 60,000 popular Indian blog in America. <laughs> and he also writes copywritingcourse.com with two Ks. Yes. And then you make over six figures. We're going to not say the number. Teaching people how to use words. What if it was like six figures, but of like Venezuelan dollars or something? <laughs> <Six> figure. <laughs> I also uh, run swipefile.com. Oh, do you? That's one of the ones I'm like oddly very proud of. Well, we can go on that. But I guess one thing I wonder with you is that you have such a unique personality. Mm -hmm. You're funny as shit. Like you're literally the Indian Larry David. (laughs) (laughs) I think a lot of people, including myself, wonder like, one, you're always happy. But I think with you sometimes I'm like, oh, he has such unique ideas and he's so humorous about a lot of things. I'm curious why you don't try to even go to the next level. Like you do copywriting, which is great. And I think you've owned it. But I wonder if you could do like TVs or YouTube channels or something that has like a wider audience, either around business or just being humor in general. Yeah. I don't know. I've got that a lot from a lot of people. They're like, I think you could be bigger. I'm like, okay. I think I have a a good trajectory of where I'm going. I don't think I've ever wanted to be at the very top, top. And I think one of the reasons was I used to be a pretty prolific reader in like elementary school, middle school and stuff, probably more than I am now. And I'd read all the books. And at some point you just start running out of books. So you read more and more obscure books. So I'd read these like biographies of like Jackie Chan, Jay Leno, David Letter, all these different autobiographies, biographies, books about him, everything. And I kind of realized like the people at the very, very top, let's say like Michael Jordan, like we were talking about earlier, those people are maniacally competitive, like by nature. There's something about it. They've got a super strong chip on their shoulder. I don't know if I totally have that. You know, I had a pretty good life. So I don't know if I have enough of a chip to be at the super, super top, nor do I necessarily desire that. Like the mountain gets smaller as you go to the top. Hmm. And I don't want to be at the very pinnacle. I'd rather be with some homies and have a good time. I think also the thing of going to like India all the time, we used to go, you know, every two years or so. And you just see like people that are on just by the very nature of where they were born into a life that is not going to get better. I think it's more about your circumstances and what you make of it 
And I kind of learned that lesson early on that like you can choose to be happy or you can choose to be sad. I don't know. And I think a lot of people over here, they grow up in like these air conditioned environments and complain on Facebook, life is so hard as they're using a trillion dollar infrastructure in an air conditioned house, <laughs> living on the 17th story of a building that in the last hundred years wouldn't have been possible. So most people, I would assume, I mean, maybe I'm speaking for myself. I don't know. Were you talking about me in that apartment building, by the way? <laughs> no, you're, you're 11th floor. I know, I'm 70s. the slums. <laughs> but I think most people want to achieve like the ultimate and the best. And I, I mean, we're still going to die no matter what at the end, but you're like, hey, I'm actually content. So I wonder how you get into that mindset. I wouldn't say it's like totally content. Like there are times I'm like, fuck, I need to work harder. But that's just normal. That's a healthy level of it. There's a great documentary, uh, Supermensch, about Shep Gordon. And I remember I actually met this guy before I even knew who he was. And me and Brent were hanging out with him. He was doing some book stuff for him. I was like, this is like a cooler, older guy. He must've been I don't know, 60, 65, I don't know. And then all of a sudden, all these people started surrounding him. They're like, oh my God, Shep Gordon. I was like, whoa, this guy's like a somebody. And I watched his documentary about him produced by Mike Myers, the guy you know in the Austin Powers films. And it's called Supermensch. And he was the guy, the manager for all the top acts in the 70s and 80s. He had a really interesting quote of like, I don't think that ultra amounts of fame has brought anything positive to anyone that gets it. And I was like, whoa, that's a hell of a big statement coming from this guy. I think it's true. Like once you get, you start um, getting so recognizable that you have to seclude yourself. And I think it just drives you mad at some point. And I've never wanted to become that famous. There's like a price you're willing to pay and I'm not willing to pay that price. That makes sense? Yeah. I guess, how do you figure out how high you want to go? I'd rather be rich than well-known. Okay. Yeah. That was that Bill Murray quote I told you about on uh, Howard Stern. Howard Stern was like, Bill, what does it feel like to be rich and famous? And Bill Murray with his little eclectic style looks back and he's like, eh, just try being rich. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, that is the most brilliant thing I've ever heard. Like, why do you need to be famous? Just be rich. What do you think other people are doing? We've been friends 10 plus years and a lot of people you know, like they're not as happy as you. What are we doing wrong? One of my friends was just like, I think it's a chemical thing. And my answer is, I don't know if that's totally true, but I also don't know. I think some people focus on a lot of negatives all the time, or they watch shows that I think make them sad and stuff like that. They really like surround themselves with media and stuff and friends that just are sad. Well, I think there's different ways of it. For me, I think it's nice to have conversations where you have meaningful conversations versus just like, let's talk about the weather or you see the sports game or how's the work stuff. Like versus this? <laughs> no, I think, that, uh, who knows? I do think we default to the negative. That's actually really interesting. I think if you back up, maybe this answers your question a little better. I've talked about with you a lot this already, but the concept of I want to die at 85. And if I'm not dead by then, I'm going to do it. And so a lot of people are like, is that suicidal? I'm like, no, it's, it's one, it's 49 years in the future for me. I'm 35 now. So my 85th birthday, November 17, 2067, you can come to my death party if you want. Let's assume that I don't get hit by a bus and this is the plan. Well, if I had that much time, what do I want to do with it? And I think when you break down your life into a very finite thing like that, which is scary for some people, but it's just like, it's going to happen. Like you're going to die. And so if you look at it in that finite kind of term, you're just like, what do I want to fill this life with? And it's a way easier question when you know it's just going to be this limited thing. So if you break down your life like that, which I have done already, I think it just makes it way easier. I think it's a very helpful exercise to pinpoint when you're going to die. So what things do you want to do before you die? Probably have kids because I like freedom. I like having do whatever I want. But then I always say this quote to you. It's like after 40, what else is there? <laughs> like if you're not going to have kids, like, like for me, I'm just kind of like, I've done, we've done a lot of stuff in our life. We've yeah. been very lucky to have the means and time 
to be able to do like all sorts of cool things. And beyond a couple more years, what else is there to do? You know, it's funny because I, I was thinking for a long time, kids are just what you do when you're bored. You're like, I got nothing else to do. All right, we'll have kids and then we'll have to like complain about them for the next few years. It's a 20 year hobby. Yeah. But I think also recently I had this, I kind of changed my perspective where it's more of like a new project. It's like another type of startup or business or company, but it's probably more crazy. Don't have any friends with kids. Like, you know, in Austin or New York, some people they don't know anyone with kids. And so they'd be like, oh, I really want kids. Being single sucks, blah, blah, blah. But they don't see the other side of it with these married people that are like, oh God, it'd be so Gross. great to be single. So it's just like, it's uh, the grass is always greener on the other side. And like, whatever you got right now is pretty good. You're always positive. When's the last time you were sad? And I guess the things I was curious about is when you're sad, what do you do to get out of it or stay in it? What's the last thing you're bummed about? I mean, look, I get sad, right? But that's normal. I don't, I don't get like depressed or anything like that. I just get sad being like, huh, I need to take this business to the next level, something like that. Now I'll think about it. But my brain is dumb. Like I can't retain a lot of information. Like the RAM in my brain is very low. I've got like 10K of RAM. <laughs> yeah. um, so I have to write it down on a sheet of paper and say, okay, what's the problem? It's like, I want more money. And then like, okay, how do I do that? And then I break it down. And that usually makes me not sad anymore. Is this something that happened recent? No. Well, maybe. I write down all the time. That's why I use this iPad all the time. This makes me very happy. <laughs> this show is sponsored by Apple. Yeah. <laughs> I think people think in their head too much and don't get it on paper. That's a real problem. You just go in circles, yeah. So when's the last time you were jealous of someone? I get competitive if I see someone like maybe in my field that's doing something that I was like, fuck, I wish I could have done that. I get competitive about it for sure. You remember like six months ago, we were having dinner and I was like whining as usual. What you said specifically, I thought was really insightful was it's not about stop complaining. It's just like, just be okay that you're going to be sad for a bit. Instead yeah. of trying to like avoid it or not deal with it, you're like, just go be sad. It's okay. I think some people, they start telling people on their Facebook or their friends, like, I think you're guilty of it quite a bit, actually, of like, you get so worked up whenever you're mad. They start talking about it and complaining. It's just like, no, it's always sad. It's just like, just be sad for a bit. It's okay. Like in two hours, you're going to get over this. Yeah. Or we just make fun of you. Yeah. I remember that one time, like me, you and JR were working out and you were like just motor mouthing about some complaining shit. And I was just like, <laughs> I'm Noah. I'm a millionaire and I have a hot girlfriend and, and have a great life and a company, but I'm still sad. And then you just laughed and you're like, eh, that's pretty God, dumb. God damn it. Devil. <laughs> yeah. And you're happy. I think you just, it takes some time. But you know what's crazy? For every person on the planet, for the most part, the same things make you happy. Hmm. Can you name them? Probably connection with another person. Yeah. Family, hanging out with your buds, blah, blah, blah. Drinking Exercise. beer every once in a while. Yeah. Getting out. Providing for people, cooking for someone, like, Helping. you know, like different things uh, make different people happy, but it's essentially the same crap. That's true. It's very universal. That's what I learned early on, especially like even in middle school when I was reading all those books, I was like, all these books roughly are the same goddamn thing. Mm. <laughs> Work hard, save money, hang out with your family. Like, got it. <laughs> like, it's like the same crap. It's the same recipe for the most part. I, I think one thing that, that's really fascinating about you is that you're exploring a lot of curiosities and I think that leads to your happiness. Like, I like, so, I like yeah. music. So I'm going to play, I'm going to do piano and guitar and start taking lessons. Like, I think I'm trying to think about for myself and for people listening, how they can take your curiosity or how you approach it. And I think how that generates happiness. Well, I do projects all the time. I talk to our good buddy, Sam Parr yeah. of The Hustle about this all the time. And he's just like, I just think that you have different brain chemistry. That's his argument sometimes. That might be true. I don't know. I don't know how to make people happier. I think reading other people's stories, indulging your own curiosity, being busy. I really think the meaning of life is that you are a self-replicating organism that started from like a couple of amino acids. Every self-replicating organism that's managed to survive and procreate 
has resulted in us. And we are no different than like a little bacterium. And the point of the middle of your life is to just distract yourself and have fun. That's it. And we have that luxury right now of living in this day and age of not having to work so hard. So I think one interesting way to be happier is experience the really crap and drudgery, drudgery, that's a hard word to say, drudgery of life that most other people have in the world. And so for me, that was going to India every two years and seeing that, like, I'm so hardened because like, I can see a three-year-old with his ribs sticking out, running through traffic with no parents and be like, whatever, that's just normal. That's just something I see. And it doesn't affect me at all. Whereas someone else from here, because they live a cushy life, that would break their heart. So I don't know. I think there's something about understanding how hard people worked in the past just to stay alive. Like in 1920s, like there was a campaign slogan for presidency where it was like two chickens in every pot. That meant that your kids don't starve to death because people used to starve to death then, right? Like they would not have enough to eat. They would get really skinny and then they would perish. That happened like just 80 years ago over here and still happens across the world. And I think people forget that so easy. They're like, what do I want to do with my life? It's like, bitch, that is such a luxury you have to be able to, to even your parents' generation to be able to pick what you like. Like that is such a foreign concept to a lot of people. In the yeah. world. They don't get to choose what they like. They get to choose like what keeps food on table every day. So the takeaway is complain less, just go be busy and have fun. I guess. I think if someone's sad, they're going to be sad. I don't know. I think one thing that last week was I spent a one day just working the whole day. Mm -hmm. It was really fucking satisfying. I think it's great. Yeah. I think there's these times you're like, hey, I'm not feeling good. Just like go create something that helps other people and you feel good about doing it. That's all I did all day. And I was like, I got to do this more often. Yeah. Working's awesome. I got that in a couple of ways, like these little micro projects, which is like learning a new song on the piano that I don't know how to play. And at first it's like really hard. Then you practice a couple of times and you're like, whoa, got it. It's pretty cool. Writing articles, blog posts. That's super fun for me. I've been doing it for free since before people made money online. So I just liked doing it. And I like the process of coming up with an idea, kind of formulating it, changing it around, moving it around. And by the end, I'm like, God damn fucking article. I hate it. <laughs> but then you put it out and then you're like, nice. <laughs> That's pretty good. Sometimes you're like, yeah, that was whatever. Sometimes that was a winner. Sometimes it sucks. But like, that's all just part of the process. And I think that's like a micro project, putting out blog posts and stuff like that. I want to go back just one second. You, as a kid, you were reading a lot of books. Tons. Yeah. Were you a loner at all or? No, not at all. I had a lot of friends. And I think I read a much wider breadth of stuff than most people. Hmm. And most people weren't reading biographies of Nikola Tesla in sixth grade. And I would go to the library stacks because I'd read so many books and I would pick out random books. I would literally cover my eyes, poke out a book and grab it. And I would have to sit there and read it. I could speed read it or skip over chapters if they sucked, but I would have to read the entire book. And I remember picking up this male midlife crisis book. This must've been in high school, early high school. And it was like, I saw into the future and she gave all these examples of different people and why they had midlife crises. So, and I feel like when they feel like they missed out or they could have been something else, but they had all these responsibilities they had to take care of. That was very impactful to me. And so how did that impact you? What do you think that led you to start doing? I think it made me realize like, once you get married and have children, that's kind of one of those things that's hard to get out of. So if I could prolong that and have as much selfish fun as I'd like when I'm younger, then when I have those responsibilities, I'll be much more likely to enjoy those responsibilities than I, if I was like, oh man, I could be going out every night, blah, blah, mm. blah. Whereas now I've done that and I naturally have gotten tired of it more. So like when it comes time to like be burdened down with responsibilities, live in one place, I'll be okay with it. 
One thing that you've done, and we talked about it earlier, and, and you've always done is I think you learn from more unique places than most people. I think a lot of people are, <laughs> yeah. you do. And I think yeah. that's something that most people, true. I think other people can really take away from that, which is, you know, a lot of people are like, well, I read this guy's book and, you know, maybe I listened to this blog, but I think you actually go out of your way to learn from like really unique places and people. And then you make a big effort around it. Can you talk about that? Uh, yeah. One, I take notes. That's the difference. I mm. take notes. That is absolutely the difference because how many YouTube videos have you ever watched? Thousands. Less than thousands, right? Yeah. Do you remember much of it? Yeah, no. of course. But I do because I take notes on them. And so I have a better memory because of that. YouTube's like the greatest learning platform in the history of anything. Like if your ankle hurts, you just have to go to a doctor or being Indian, just ask a doctor friend. But like <laughs> if you don't- mom. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but now with YouTube, you could watch all these doctors tell you what to do. It's incredible. And that applies to so many different things. There's all these, like if you type in billionaire interview on YouTube, you'll find a ton. And you can watch Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger, Mark Andreessen, Steve Jobs, you watch dead people talk. Like it's crazy. And you can watch them tell you all their secrets right there for free. And to me, that is just so flabbergasting that you could do that. Or type in Earl Nightingale. You know, he's my favorite. Watch anything about Earl Nightingale, specifically the strangest secret, I would say. You could learn from all these people. And if you sit there and actually take notes on some of these videos, you'll start to compile like a pretty good amount of stuff. You know, like you're the average of the top five people you hang around. I think it's more you're the average of the top five influences you have and the kind of people mm. you're around. And if all day I'm listening to Mark Andreessen talk or Steve Jobs or Felix or any of these people, right? Those are huge influences, obviously. And anyone can do that. You can live in bumfuck Ohio and still do the same thing. You don't have to be in Silicon Valley now to hear that. 10 years ago, you did. Isn't that crazy? I think that's really amazing. I think, at least I speak for myself. I'm looking for that next thing. There's going to be this next thing out there that'll eventually I'll find that'll give me some answers to the questions I have. But I think your point is great. It's like, there's actually amazing people out there already that you have access to if you just go put in a little effort. Do you generally just search random or do you have certain people you look for? Certain people, like I remember I discovered Sam Altman. Like I knew who he was, like the Y Combinator kid. And he's like a kid. So I was like, oh, take 45 minutes to watch this. Yeah. And he's telling all of it to me and everyone else for free. So- Besides the No Kagan Presents podcast, which is your number one show. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what other uh, channels on YouTube or podcasts do you recommend? I love the A16Z podcast. That is amazing. Particularly Benedict Evans. Shout out to our boy, Andrew. He's pretty good on it too. Also, Andrew Chen's blog, in terms of like startup stuff, like his just above the rest. Killer. And then, um, oh God, I hate to say it, the Recode podcast with Kara Swisher. That's good. Where... I'm ambivalent on her, but mm. she does get a lot of access and good guests, including Elon Musk. Besides her being a little bit annoying sometimes, I will say it was a pretty good interview. Yeah. I've seen every Elon Musk interview ever, probably 10 times each. I really liked Steve Jobs. I think he was like this last of an era of a CEO that can get away with saying some of the stuff he says. I think that was pretty interesting. You could even watch like a Lee Iacocca speech or something like the, you know, the guy from like- Chrysler guy? Yeah, exactly. GM. GM, yeah. Tim Ferriss has a lot of good stuff. No Kagan podcast, of course. Oh, shut up, then. Uh, so you recommend, and then YouTube, you told me a guy today, Graham. Graham Bensinger. Ben Bessinger? Bensinger? He's a sports interviewer who just started bringing a camera to like events and interviewing these people. He has the best interviews for sports stars, and now he's branching out to like non-sports people. I think he just interviews interesting people. But I mean, he had a Mike Tyson podcast, and I've never seen Mike Tyson open up like that. Shaq? Like, you got to watch that one, too. His Shaq interview? Amazing. I don't know. This guy just like asks a question. He's very non-threatening and he just shuts the fuck up and lets them talk. <laughs> and whenever they stop talking, 
he continues to stop talking and just lets them keep going. But yeah, you can learn a lot from that because he's interviewing the top people in the field or people who have like fallen from glory and stuff like that. I've listened to a couple of Lance Armstrong podcasts recently. Pretty good. Yeah. And it's interesting because he was like defamed through that whole like doping thing or whatever. I feel like he's free to say anything he wants now. <laughs> and, and there's something interesting about that. I listen to a lot of Joe Rogan stuff, particularly it's just like background stuff like Tony Hinchcliffe or something like that. They're just horsing around and being stupid. Don't have to pay too much attention. Yeah, like comedy or things yeah, like that. Yeah, it's just in the background while I'm vacuuming or some crap. And I <laughs> you can't know, how often you vacuuming? Hey, <laughs> <laughs> Do you listen to the Joe Rogan Matthew Walker podcast? No. So my buddy Eric Southwell, shout out, uh, told me to listen to it. Basically, the whole point of the podcast is just sleep more. And I was like, <laughs> no, I, but like listening to it for an hour and a half, it was amazing because I was like, so I've been way more aware of like how much sleep I'm actually getting or not. Yeah. What yeah. do you recommend? He said seven to eight hours. What was fun or interesting about his podcast is that everything that's problematic in earth, he's like, sleep would cure that. <laughs> he's like, you know, cancer? Yeah, sleep fixes it. But you know what's funny? Like people still want to be like, well, what product do I need to sleep? It's just like, dude, just get more sleep. I don't know, whatever you want. But that is a simple answer to a complex problem. That's why we even thought it right now was humorous. That was the joke, right? That it was such a simple answer. But like, that is the answer. I think people just want it to be more complicated. I mean, I think it almost comes back to what you're saying about life. Like you're like, it's pretty simple. Like work on things, have good friends, take care of yourself. My favorite, I've told you this one before, but as this old Jewish rabbi was on his deathbed and he had all these disciples and his disciples are lined up next to him in terms of the sharpest all the way down to the most obtuse dumb guy. The dumb guy goes, uh, hey, can you ask the rabbi what the secret of life is? And then the next smartest guy asks, whispers the next guy and it goes down the chain. And finally the smartest kid goes, rabbi, what is the secret of life? And the rabbi goes, he thinks about it, and he's like, life is like a river. So the smartest guy whispers it down to the next guy, life is like a river. Next guy, life is like a river. And it goes down to the dumb guy, and he's like, life is like a river. What does that mean? So then they whisper it all the way back down, and he goes, rabbi, what does it mean that life is like a river? And then the rabbi goes, yeah, so maybe it's not like a river. <laughs> it's, just, it's just so stupid. He's just like, I, I really like that. It just shows us like, yeah, fuck, what, don't, dude, just don't take it so seriously. I said it. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. Like, I don't even think that makes that much sense. But to me, but it, it makes may, perfect sense. It make a lot of sense. I just read this book. Uh, you've ever heard of Jack Cornfield? Yeah. So after the ecstasy, the laundry. So basically, it's a book about like all these people that find enlightenment or how do you get to, you know, the next stages of life. But then you still have to do the laundry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was interesting. I, it was good to reflect on that. Stuff. I think there's pride in those little things in life. I think that's a big deal. Like there's that, that one general, whatever, who says, always make your bed. Like I've always made my bed in the morning. I'm pretty good about it. But there is some pride in taking that small little thing, no matter how insignificant, and fixing it up through your own efforts. And then it's done. Sometimes like when I like make my bed or something, I, I think I'm thinking someone's watching. To me, it makes me have pride in myself to take care of that stuff. I'm like, you know, you see trash on the ground. I'm like, just pick it up. Just pick it up. I got that from Boy Scouts. You probably did too. Oh, is that a that Boy Scout thing? I think that's where we got it. I always try to make every place I go a little better. And I think that came from Boy Scouts in terms of like, if I see a piece of trash and it's right next to a garbage can, I'll pick up the soda can and stick it in. You yeah. know, it's not that big of a deal. It takes very little time. I don't care about germs. I'll be fine. Right. So I try to do that as much as I can. If the soda can's really far from a trash can, mm. meh, maybe not. Sometimes it's satisfying just seeing your work resolved. Do you do projects? I, don't I do feel it. like you don't have like a lot of curiosity stuff. I play piano. I play guitar. I play them all the time when I'm home. Yeah. I love watching these like YouTube interviews. I do little projects all the time. I don't know if you necessarily do a lot of that stuff. You're like Sonny and Cher. 
You're like, you know, actually, I remember the last time I saw you really happy and engaged doing stuff when you were fixing up your Miata. Oh, that was fun. When you were, you were building stuff with Ian. Shout out Tropical yeah. NBA. Tropical NBA podcast. You were going over to his garage and being manly and fixing shit up. No, I think what it is or what I've noticed lately is just like, what am I excited to be doing? Mm-hmm. And then like probably getting better exploring those. I remember one time you were really excited about the stupidest gun. I like making fun of Noah. So yeah. yeah. Sorry. <laughs> like this <laughs> bike bashing. ride? Oh yeah. You're having fun doing the bike ride. Yeah. You do events more than projects. I yeah. Say. I like bringing you, people you, together. You do a lot of events. That's something I admire about you. Remember you made sumo gum mm. <laughs> and it had caffeine in it or something? Yeah. And I remember I just thought it was a harebrained like Kramer-like idea or something like that. And then you actually made it. Yeah. And you had some woman make a batch of it, like yeah. some chef. I remember it, it, it wasn't good, <laughs> but you did it. Yeah. And you were so happy about that. Your smile on your face was just like crazy. You're like a little boy or something like that. Because I was fucked up on caffeine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm fucking ready. No, but but I remember thinking like, that's the kind of like interesting exploration, kind of like uh, Richard Feynman-like, mm. like just curiosity of just like stuff. How do you feel about shaping the future? Or what do you think about it for yourself? Sometimes that holds me back and sometimes it excites me about like, all right, people are doing this crazy stuff. Like, how do I do that myself as well? Do you really want to do that work, you see like Elon Musk, SpaceX or something, do you really want to be doing that work or do you just kind of want the recognition for it? No, maybe there's something about the second part. Yeah, I think a lot of people are like, I wish I could do that, but it's just like, do you really know what that involves? Like, are you willing to sacrifice what it takes to actually have that? Yeah, Elon Musk has frequently been quoted, he says it all, he's like, I don't think it's as fun to be me as people think. And I believe him, so yeah. <laughs> I don't think you have to change the world. Bill Gates's first company was they make those sensors that track how many cars go over a road. Yeah, for lights and shit like that. Yeah, yeah. So they all started off as dumb things. Apple started off the same way. They made like a hacking device or something like that. Yeah, for phones and shit like yeah, that. Yeah, but they weren't trying to change the world. In fact, it was almost like a criminal device, <laughs> like, if you think about it. Yeah, they were just scratching a curiosity, making some fun projects. People always try to change the world. And I'm like, what do you mean when you say that? I'm like, I just want to make an impact. I'm like, no, no, no. Define what you mean with numbers. Mm. And they can't do it. Someone said it to me, well, it's like, what are you procrastinating on? Like, where are you spending your procrastination? And that's maybe something that you should be working on. So I think, yeah, it's great. I'm going to think more about curiosity. Yeah. When Elon Musk talks about it, he's not, I'm not trying to change the world. It's just like, they're trying to make a rocket that has a better specific impulse than the previous generations of rockets. That's just a hard engineering problem. That's a number they can peg their impact on the world to. I think most people don't have that. One thing from, I went to SpaceX, a friend of ours got a tour there. The two things that were most amazing about going there, besides like what he's doing on stuff, was number one was their mission. But he's basically like, I'm trying to colonize Mars so that we can have a future in our society. I thought that was just so powerful and how that can relate to my company at Sumo or other people's businesses where it's like, holy shit, like, why are you doing this? I think my why for a lot of stuff I do is like, one, I was writing for free already. My procrastination was doing stupid articles online. And now you get paid. And now I I somehow get paid for it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. So speaking of stupid articles, so your why is that you just like writing? I mean, it's something I've always done and I probably will do for free no matter what. Well, one thing about that I wanted to, actually wanted to bring up in in the show was your Google Docs when you do your calls. Mm -hmm. So I started doing that in the past month and it's transformed how I've like interacted with people. So explain... Basically, with sumoride.com, which is the charity bike rides we put on, one of the donation levels is people donate, and then part of the donation is I'll chat with them for an hour about their business. And I would do these calls, and about half of them were great, Mm -hmm. and half of them were draining. And they're great people. All of them were nice, and I appreciated the donation, but I was just like, there's just no point. It doesn't help them. It doesn't help me. And they forget everything after Yeah, and they're like, oh, okay, that was just an hour. And they think I'm going to do something magical, which I won't. 
And so I was talking with you about it and I was like, how can I improve my consistency and the likelihood that when I have a call, it's fucking great. And so two things that I changed based on our conversation and also like, I think you do a great job of this, like how to make it interesting for yourself or how to make it fun for yourself. So two things I did is that now before the calls, I say, what's one thing we can finish or talk about? The silver bullet. Yeah. Just tell me one thing that we can walk away from this call that will change your life or make this call the best you have this year. And so that one has been good because they'll send me 10 questions, like which one? And then they'll just pick that one. And the second thing that you've done or recommended, which I do now is the Google Docs. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of times when we do consulting calls or when you're helping someone, it's like, yeah, let me just give you some theories. Yeah. Or let me give you some suggestions or samples. And so now when I do the calls, I'm like, let's get on video. And let's have a Google Doc and you have your one question and let's go over the answers that we're going to put in there for you to go do. Video is crucial. Yeah. I insist all clients be on video, but you can tell what they're into and what they're not. Like I can see in their eyes. I'm like, you should do this. And I'm like, okay, I could clearly tell you're not going to do this. <laughs> I'm like, why? <laughs> and they're like, well, I wouldn't. And, and then we get to the real heart of it, right? Yeah. And the Google Doc is this so you can write shit down because you forget all that shit. Do you know what I've realized by doing these calls? I've had a few people really like homework. So I think they like the tangibility of having a document. Mm-hmm. And I think we're so conditioned from our youth that I'm like, hey, here's homework for you to go do. They're like, I have homework? <laughs> and they do. They love it's it. Accountability. Yeah. They want someone to go do it. And well, they also it. probably already respect, admire you. That's why they paid someone. for it. And so like, they don't want to let you down. Yeah. And they also paid a lot of money for it, right? They didn't pay 10 bucks. There's a lot more, more zeros on that number. And so they take it more seriously. Yeah. I love consulting calls. So long as there's a tight box around what they can do. They can't email me before or after, unless there's an update. We meet at a certain time. If they miss it, their payment's gone. I keep it. Oh, really? Yeah, no. because, dude, if you, you, if you blocked out three to four for me, I did not do that for someone else. So it's lost revenue for me. So, yeah, I keep the money. I think it's when you know what? They show up next time. They're always on time. I bet. <laughs> and they're always on time next time. Well, it's one of these things that in like today's economy and a lot of the online businesses, it's like scale, 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 scale. Like, how do you automate? How do I not be human interaction? I always respect about you that you're like, actually, I like learning a lot by interacting with a lot of the customers and people who read your stuff. And it keeps you sharp. I had this call on the guy, he showed me his online business and I did the spreadsheet and I had him send the question. I said, well, what's the most important question? The most important question was like, how do we go from a hundred thousand dollar business to a million? Mm-hmm. I'm like, dude, we're talking for one hour. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that'd be pretty fucking impressive if one hour we can figure that out. And after the call, I felt disappointed. And I felt like it was good. Maybe he loved it, but I don't think it was amazing. Did you do the spreadsheet on this one or was this just a call? So it was a call with the Google Doc, but I realized, and this is maybe something for other people to do, but more what I did was like, all right, how could I have made that call fucking way better? Because I I just felt like afterwards, I was like, yeah, I just kind of gave him a lot of random different tactics, but they weren't organized. Like, how could I have a framework for my calls to make them effective based on their question? So you want a suggestion? Yeah. For that, I would tell him that like, okay, 100,000 to a million, that's just one hour. This is not realistic. What can I do to make you an extra $50,000 this month? You're coming at it from a little bit of a disadvantage because you're coming at it from a much more general standpoint. It's very broad. Yes. Whereas mine is copywriting. We're doing copywriting. So I say, what will make you the most money by the end of these consults that you buy? And it's just like, is it going to be an email sequence that we send out to your list, like a sale? Is it going to be revamping a sales page? And we kind of quickly go through the options and it's really clear that like, they have a lot of success selling via email. And I'll look at it and be like, oh, you're doing a bad job. Let's rewrite this email. And literally they'll send it like that day, the promotion. And they'll be like, yeah, we made your fee times 20 back. That's a good point. So your suggestion is try to find something more digestible that they could do. Specific. What can we specifically do? For example, let's say maybe they needed to hire two more salespeople. Like in all your companies, you hire two more salespeople and it totally did the trick. Then you say, how are you going to find salespeople? Get on Facebook right now and ask, 
your friends that you'll give them a thousand dollars. They could find you a, a salesperson. And of course, you know, that's going to result in some action, stuff like that. And homework would be, I want you to hire two salespeople next two weeks. And that would definitely make their money back. All right. Well, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> They're out of business now. <laughs> yeah. But do you ever get, I get nervous sometimes. I only know what my experiences and my learnings have been. I get nervous. I'm going to fuck up their shit. Do you ever think about that? Yeah, you're like, hey, you send this email and then like they're, well, they're paying a lot of money too. Yeah. Just talk to you for an hour. I think that's why I'm very strict on the requirements on like what's the one thing I can help them with. Because if everyone's expectations are lined up, if the expectations are there of we're going to get this email promotion done by the end of this hour, then everyone's happy. Mm. But if they're just like, help me get my business to a million dollars and that's their expectation. That's but then at the end of the phone call, it's just like, yeah. I just got to meet Noah. Like, that's cool, but you disappointing. Know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then the expectations are all out of wonk. And then they're kind of just like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. I was happy with myself for trying to take the time to understand how do I put my thoughts into a better organization? If I'm meeting someone who's trying to grow their business, like what are better ways of going through the steps of it? And so I was like, oh, well, actually here's the steps. And now let me organize what is really, really important. And then I was trying to apply them to my own businesses first. Hmm. And so I had these like 10 questions. So it was like, number one was, what is your goal? Number two was just like, where does 80% of your money come from? Mm, and basically, a good question. And so now if I meet people, I'm not going to obviously help everyone get to a million because I don't fucking know. But it's interesting just to organize it better. Dude, consults are great. Um, I learn a lot. I feel like some of them, I feel like I learn way more than they get. Sometimes I'm like, man, I should refund them their money and <laughs> like <laughs> give them money. <laughs> I think there's something interesting. I say this a lot, and I'm not going to keep flattering you. But you do a few <laughs> things. I think one, I think you try to like answer your questions for yourself. Because I think a lot of people, like if you read books or go online and YouTube, there are people that are like, don't do consulting, don't do one-on-one, charge monthly or get subscriptions. And I think you've also identified what works for you and you've stuck with that and you evolve within things that- Well, I tried the monthly and I was just like, this clearly isn't the best. Here's the worst feeling in the world. Where the last 20 minutes of a consult, you're struggling for what to help them with. And you're like, what else do you need help with? And they're like, oh, well, you can look at my homepage. Mm. And I'm like, oh, God damn. Like you just tell the energy and you just get off the call and you're just like, that was not good. And so if I rope them in and kind of force them into that monthly thing, you know, sometimes they don't need help from me every week. What other insights or things have you evolved with your business? One thing I've learned is like, I think most people, like especially rich people, they end up making a lot of their money outside of their core competency, which I kind of start to realize is more and more often. So for example, a lot of people like that we know, they'll have a business but they'll make most of their money because they like invested in Uber or something like that, right? They've invested in something small somewhere else and that just brought in a lot of money. So like for you, you can run Sumo and stuff like that and then invest it in real estate. And ultimately you may make more money from real estate or something else. I think what really works in the public eye, so what like gurus, and I could be accused of being a guru of course too. I think what they tell you is sometimes not the really good stuff. So for example, when something really works, you know, Joe Sugarman, he talked about the 1-800 number credit card ordering back in the 60s or 70s. He was the first one to do it and it was working so well that he just shut up about it. And all his friends were like, hey, Sugarman, we're seeing your ads in popular science. How are those credit card number things working? He's like, oh man, it's rough. We're paying all this money. No one's fucking buying, blah, blah, blah. In reality, he was fucking raking it in. Interesting. And he kept it quite as long as he could until AT&T published a case study about him being like, this guy's making like $3 million a month. And he's like, God damn it. <laughs> I'd be careful to follow like common advice like that. I'm more skeptical of like a lot of these gurus with cool planes and cars and stuff like that. Some of it's good. Some of it's not. You also do like learning from people online. 
And so I think it's kind of challenging. How do you filter what's real and what's not real? I think you just kind of tell. I don't know. That's a good question. Well, I always think that's what intelligence is. But I think we also had good backgrounds. You're Jewish. Mm, I'm Indian, Indian Jewish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, but I, I think intelligence to some extent is, is filtering like who to go ask for questions from, who to listen to, and then how to make your own decision with those inputs. I think a, a big influence in being Zoroastrian had a very tight-knit community. And there's a lot of business owners. And I got to like get mentorship from a lot of them. And I remember the first guy was one of my friends. His dad owned a big real estate company. And I was like, what do you do? I asked him in 10th grade. Because I asked my parents, I'm like, how can he donate this much money to our church when like, that's like more money than our house costs? And so I asked him and he was like, yeah, come hang out at the office. And so he paid me $10 an hour. I didn't even know what a job was at the time or anything. He paid me $10 an hour to just go follow him around. And he like showed me what he did and all that kind of stuff. And I realized I was like, I thought of this guy as like a CEO, some sort of like, you know, up on a pedestal kind of thing. It felt very blue collar, actually, what he did. He went around to all his properties. He'd see like a pile of crap in the corner over there, write it down and tell someone to go fix it. He'd see a clogged toilet, go tell someone. I was like, you do this? This seems like almost easy. And I remember watching him sift through deals, like real estate deals. And he'd look through like hundreds a day. They'd print them out and he'd look at them like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And every once in a while, after like several hundred deals, he'd be like, whoa, like something would just be like a steal. He couldn't believe. And then people would be like, oh, he's lucky with real estate. And I'm like, I don't know. He looked at 300 deals and picked one. Like, is that luck? I thought two points with that specifically is like, number one, I think we, fantasize and we like make things cooler than he's like oh my god he's probably running this empire oh but do you know how many twitter follows this guy has uh zero yeah and i I think that (laughs) no but i think that's the point is that we fantasize like how amazing his days must be and it's like nope he's going to looking at shit and i think it's number one it's you know putting out fires all day and i think the second thing is just also just finding something you're generally interested in and curious about like that guy probably just likes real estate i'm sure he finds that fun of course what else would he do it so to end the show is not as good as you think. Just enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> is that the moral of the story? Not as good as you think. I don't know. I think unless you are starving and on the verge of death right now, you're probably doing okay. But that doesn't really help. You know, it's just like, finish your food. There's kids in star- Africa starving. It's just like, yeah, but I've got problems here too. It was interesting for me to try to remind myself, which it's hard, but it's like, wow, you have everything you need. Like, I think for myself, it was like, I want more of this stuff. I want the next thing and the more thing. And it's like, why don't you just take a step back and look at what's already going on? It made me actually really appreciate more. Not to say I can't want more and grow and all this stuff, but just kind of appreciating it more. That was fucking great. Yeah. I think sometimes these answers are pretty simple and people don't want to believe it. So maybe just doing the dishes well is part of the answer. Maybe just making your bed really nice, no creases. Maybe that is part of the answer. And then those things gradually add up to make a satisfied person, I think. It doesn't have to be this one big grand, I'm going to make a rocket, blah, blah, blah. It's like, it doesn't have to be like that. Do you think the earth, the world gives you everything you'll need? I, I don't even know what that means. I guess sometimes like I get, you ever, I know you know <laughs> you me. I'm just shrooms? What I happened? know, it's like I'm drugged <laughs> That's out. That's a weird <laughs> No, I, I just in terms of the, like people, uh, not people. So like if I get like a dish and I'm like, oh, it doesn't have this thing. I want, and I, I complain, you know me. Yeah. I'm like, oh, it's, not, it's too cold. Or it's not this. And then sometimes I'm just trying to think about, it's like, all right, I have every, uh, the, uh, I don't know. So uh, I think what you're referencing is that whenever me and Noah go out, I could care less what I get on my plate. I'll eat. Like, even today, you ordered and you just gave me tacos. And I was like, okay, I, I, did I say anything? No, no, I don't give a shit. And I was very happy. <laughs> um, Noah, on the other hand, is very picky about what he eats. I make fun of you no, for no, it. No. But at the same time, it is like that is important to you for some reason. And you, you articulated it one time pretty well. 
and you said it's like food makes me really happy and if it's not the way i want it that, that makes me sad and i was like i get it because i have things like that for me like maybe like the cleanliness of my apartment or something it's not the way i want it then it really bugs me right for someone else maybe not so much so food is like your thing on that end so i don't think it's bad that you complain <laughs> i think it's funny <laughs> The good part is you order for me and then I don't have to order, which yeah, makes no. me happy. I did today. The moral of the story is do your dishes. I think if there's one thing to take away from that episode. We're doing well. Oh, you know what's always a good piece of advice I learned from Reddit? It's like treat the dish as a sink. You have to clean it too. Oh, that too? Yeah, you have to make the, the sink clean. I wasn't allowed to do dishes growing up. I'm just better than you. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't allowed to do dishes? No. What? It's a whole longer story. My mom basically is so neurotic that like we were at my house as an example one of my ex-girlfriends was cleaning the dish. That's why she's next now. And <laughs> <laughs> no one does. And so my mom will go and redo all the dishes because they're not clean enough. That is pretty neurotic. She's that's my mom. She loves cleaning. Like, that's her number one hobby. I think your brain has to be occupied. I remember sometimes like, I think last year around Thanksgiving or something, we're just kind of at home in Houston, my family. There's just like this period of time that we had nothing to do for like two hours. I was kind of bored. I was like, I gotta go do something. But I just didn't want to work out. So I went and raked the yard. Hmm. And it was really satisfying, but it goes through anything, like any phases of any project at the beginning, you're like, oh, it's kind of fun. Like you're raking the yard, you start midway through, you're like, God damn it. I've got to still keep doing this. You're kind of bored by that point. And then by the end, you're just, there's all these like little things you got to like bag it up. And I'm like, ah, I just wanted to rake for a little while. But I think going through all three stages, like beginning excitement, middle kind of like treasury. And then the last part of like buttoning up, dotting all the I's, T's, totally. et cetera. There's something rewarding about that. That's a wrap. I hope you liked the episode. First, if you like this episode, text a friend you love them. Yo, dog, let's go sledding together. Yay! Next, go say hi to Neville at copywritingcourse.com. That's copywriting course with two Ks. K-O-P-Y-W-R-I-T-I-N-G-K-O-U-R-S-E.com. Or on the Twitter world at NevMed, N-E-V-M-E-D. Special thanks as usual to Jason Sanderson at Podcast Tech for producing and engineering the show, and the rest of you gorgeous listeners for giving me your earlobes. One more quick plug. If you love collecting emails, sending emails, and talking with your customers, and you want to hang out with them, use Sumo.com. It is the best, most affordable, and sexiest email marketing tool online built by us. So go check it out, Sumo.com. Have a splendid day. What's your favorite gift you got over the holidays? <laughs> <laughs>